You can uh, open your Bibles to the first chapter of Ephesians. We'll at least put our thumb there to start us off. Years ago, when I first was wrestling in my own heart and mind about going to seminary, and it was a process of wrestling and thinking about what would be involved in all of that and leaving a, a career that I had in banking and the various sacrifices that would be required to make in order to do all of that, I sought out counsel from some people that I trusted to, to kind of bounce this idea off of and have them, you know, observe me and to speak into my life and to say, you're out of your mind, um, you know, or to encourage me along in that process. And it was really helpful. But, but at the same time as I talked to a few people about that, I, I heard this warning, and maybe you've heard this before, and the warning went something like this, that uh, seminary can become cemetery. And um, you go, what does that mean? And what they were saying to me is that to go to seminary and to pursue a serious, in-depth study of the scriptures and doctrine can, if you're not careful, become an academic exercise in which you lose sight of the living God. And that he becomes a, a subject for your study, almost like something on a microscope slide that you would just peer at from the outside. That, that, that your Christian walk could become this cold, intellectual orthodoxy. That you would know all the right answers, you would... You would be able to, to respond in all of the you know, apologetical brilliance, as it were, to people's questions and objections, but that, but that you yourself would have this rather cold and distant relationship with the living God. Some called it a mind-numbing doctrine. And in fact, there are some churches that, that kind of at least act that way. That if the, the serious pursuit of doctrine, it seems as though they're concerned about it or afraid of it, that it will actually kill people's Christian faith. Well, to the extent that that may have any truth in it, the topic before us this morning, the thrilling truth of adoption, is definitely like a, a warm summer ray on an early spring morning. It warms the heart. It, it thrills the soul. I have been so benefited by my own studies and preparation for what we've shared with you last week and, and will share with you by the grace of God this week and next week with regard to this incredible topic, yea, doctrine of adoption. What is eternal life? Someone asked you that question, what is eternal life? How would you answer that? Jesus says in the 17th chapter of John's gospel in his high priestly prayer in verse 3, this is eternal life, that you may know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. That eternal life is a relationship. It is, it is this intimate relationship of knowing God and being known by God. Not an accumulation of factoids, 
but a but a relationship, a loving relationship. Now there's a barrier to eternal life, yea, an insurmountable barrier to eternal life, insurmountable at least from our point of view. And that barrier is what the Bible calls sin. It is our self-focus. It is being turned inward upon ourselves. It is the love of ourselves rather than the love of God. It is, it is a relationship that is dysfunctional. And thus we are cut off from God. There is this barrier called sin. And unless and until that barrier is removed, and it can only be removed through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. By his life of perfect fellowship and relationship with his Father, that he then voluntarily surrendered, offering himself up on the cross, that that blockage, that barrier could be slain there. And then God raised him from the dead on the third day, and after 40 days he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and and he sits there now at the Father's right hand to someday return. But that glorious truth of the sacrifice and resurrection of Christ and, and the reality that it is in that, and when we understand and believe and embrace that reality for ourselves that the blockage of sin is removed and we do experience eternal life, a loving two-way relationship with the living God. The beauty of that relationship, the, the power of that relationship, the benefits of that relationship, the privileges of that relationship are assumed under this topic of adoption. Adoption is the, is the big box on Christmas morning that contains all of the amazing gifts that a loving Heavenly Father have picked out for you. Last week, we began in this doctrine here in verses 5 and 6 of Ephesians chapter 1. Where Paul writes, he, that is God the Father, predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. And we looked at those two verses together, and and what we said is that as we were looking at these verses, that we found some statements here that would guide us as we began to peer into this mystery of our status as children of the living God. We noted last week that the Father's motive in all of this is his love for us. The end of verse 4, in love he predestined us. That is the the Father's nature and character as as one who loves his Son and loves the Spirit and they love him, this this inter-Trinitarian love that has existed for all time is turned out to us. It is motivated by a God who loves, a God who is love. It's his motivation in adoption. 
We noted last week his method of adoption is this predestining. And we looked at the word and and we determined that it means that he predetermines something. And what he has predetermined is to bring people into the family and to make them sons. And we noted last week that the work of election, which is found for us there in verses 3 and 4, particular verse 4, where it says he chose us and we were elect in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world has a purpose. The purpose of the election is that we would be holy and blameless before the Father. Because to be the child of God, the problem of sin has to be resolved. To be part of the family of God, we need to bear the likeness, the family likeness of holiness. And so we have been chosen to be holy and blameless because he has predetermined us to be his children. And finally, we saw last time that the Father's goal in all of this is his glory. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of God's grace, that we might praise him now and forevermore. What is adoption? We spoke of it last week. Spent the time to detail it for us. Looked at its origins in in Roman law. We spoke of an example of it in, in Julius Caesar and his adoption. But I've got to come back at it again for you this morning. What is adoption? And in particular now, Christian adoption, as it's spoken of here. And it is simply this. It is a legal declaration. We always need to keep that in mind, that our adoption is a a legal declaration. It doesn't change anything in us. It changes our status. It is a legal declaration by the divine judge, that is God the Father, that the justified person, that is the person who has been declared right or declared righteous by the Father because of the work of the Son, has been now made a member of the divine judge's family and is a sharer in that family inheritance. It is the severing of the old and the natural relationship from that natural father, and it is the legal declaration that they are now my sons. They are now my sons. That is adoption. When was our adoption put in motion? Well, Paul tells us right here in verses beginning in, in verse 3 and running through verse 6. It is, it is before the foundation of the world, in particular verse 4. This whole adoption was put in process long ago, before you or I even existed, before this world even existed. In the mind of God the Father, he did predetermined to do something. And it is to make people his sons. Specifically, when did your adoption occur? It was put in motion before the foundation of the world, but when did it occur for you? When did you become a son of the living God? When did you become a member of the family of God? We often 
As we celebrate the birth of a child, we talk about another one added to the church. And when we say that, we're, we're speaking inside of sort of figurative, metaphorical kind of language because one does not become a member of the church of the living God through physical birth. One does not become part of the family of God by the act and will of human parents. One does not become part of the family of God by going through the waters of baptism. One does not become a part of the family of God. One is not adopted into the family of God based on a profession of faith. One is brought into the into the family of God, is made a child of God at the moment they place saving faith in Jesus Christ. It is at that moment in time that the adoptive plan of the Father actualizes in space and time. And so for me and for you, it's a different place, a different point. For some of you, you have been blessed that it is a long, long time ago, perhaps into your early childhood. For others of you, it may have only been a short time ago, regardless of your age. And for others of you out there, I fear it has not yet occurred at all. And if that be true of you, then you can be on the outside and look in at the family blessings, but they cannot be yours until and unless you too personally believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. In John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 12, John guides us in our answer here of when did our adoption occur. Where he says, but as many as received him, that is Christ, as many as received Christ to them, he gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in his name. When you receive Christ, and if you are outside of the family of God this morning, I pray for you that that you would receive Christ this morning here and now in our time together. That you would turn from your sin, your independent way of thinking and living. That you would humble your heart before God that you would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would embrace by faith the reality that his death, burial, and resurrection is for you. And he will give you the right to become children of God. Galatians in chapter 3 and verse 26, Paul speaks of the same thing. Galatians 3.26 Where he says, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's probably helpful to stop here and just insert this. The sonship. We become sons of God. And maybe some of you are sitting out there and thinking, well, I'm a lady, I'm a woman, and so this whole thing about being a son of God doesn't, maybe that's not so exciting for me. 
And believe me, it is very exciting. And, and as I begin to unpack what that all means over this week and next, I think you will agree that it is very, very exciting. But in the meantime, just, just hang on. Uh, us men, we're called the bride of Christ. And we're good with that. We, we, in fact, we're thrilled by that reality. So ladies, if, if we're good with being the bride of Christ, then just hang in here with me and be good with being sons of God, okay? All right. When did our adoption occur? At that moment, we placed saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, when will our adoption be complete? When will it be complete? Well, according to Paul in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23, at the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. At the return of Christ and the resurrection of the dead. There is a sense in which our adoption, this, this legal declaration, it occurs at a moment in time to be sure, but it has a carry-forward implications, and its full implications are not opened up to us. And in that sense, the adoption is not complete until the resurrection. Verse 23, where Paul says, And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. The wonderful truth of our adoption, the, the blessings attendant to our adoption, we begin to experience in the here and the now at the moment of saving faith, and yet they continue to grow and, and to fill out until that final blessing, which is Christ returns, summons us from the ground, grants us a glorified, perfect body suited to be in the presence of our Father forever and ever. And I'll tell you what, folks, the older I get, the more I recognize that this corrupt body, there is no way. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, huh? All right, here's what I want to do with you. I want to look with you or begin to look with you at 15 benefits of adoption. 15 benefits of adoption. Why? In order to help lift our faith out of the trap of cold orthodoxy. The benefits that we will look at together here over the next couple of weeks are designed to help lift us out of any coldness that you might feel vis-a-vis -vis God. I've been walking with Christ long enough to know that there are ebbs and flows. There are times when, when, I, when I feel really close to God and I sense that He is really close to me. And there are other times When it seems like that relationship is maybe just grown a little bit cold. It's not that I don't believe. 
It's just that the, the give and take of the relationship, the warmth of the relationship is, is not quite what it can be, what I know it should be. And being a man with a human nature just like you, I know I'm not alone. Again, maybe this message finds you this morning in that place where things are just a little bit cool. If so, I pray that what we begin to talk about this morning, the Spirit of God will use to to break through, to thaw the frost, that the warm sunlight of the glorious truth of our adoption will warm your heart and soul this morning. Just like those early spring rays as they come through the window and let you know that winter's over. Here they are, number one. The first benefit of adoption is the indwelling Holy Spirit. The first benefit of adoption is the indwelling Holy Spirit who who frees us from bondage to sin and enables and promotes our fellowship with the Father. Listen, if we didn't get any benefit beyond that, that one in and of itself is incredible. God the Spirit, third person of the triune God, comes to dwell in my heart by faith. Comes to dwell within me by faith. He frees me from bondage. He enables me to relate to my Father. He promotes the fellowship between me and the Father. Again, look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4. And beginning in verse 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Once I was a slave to sin. Once you were a slave to sin. But by the work of adoption in the the spirits indwelling you, you have been freed from that. And you can cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. Freed from bondage to sin. The prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36 and verse 27, as he speaks of this same reality, looking forward to the coming of the Spirit, For God speaks through the prophet and he says in verse 27 of Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. I will put my spirit within you 
And because my spirit is now within you as a, as a benefit of adoption, that no longer is the law something that resides outside on tablets of stone that sits in judgment of me. Instead, the very law of God is written in my heart. It is my desire to obey God. It is His law that I treasure because of the work of the Spirit. It puts me in fellowship with the Father. Romans chapter 8 and verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Or as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 18, For through Christ we both have access, our access, in one spirit to the Father. The fellowship is thrown open to us. The lines of communication are wide open to us by the work of the indwelling Spirit of God. 2 it is the witness to our sonship that comes via the indwelling Spirit of God. So the benefits here, the first benefit is the indwelling Spirit himself, but, but he, the indwelling Spirit, witnesses to our spirit that we are sons of the living God. Romans chapter 8. Beginning in verse 14. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. How do you know you're a child of God? Have you ever wondered? Has there ever been a time in your life when you've wondered and maybe you've said it out loud and maybe it's only something you've kept to yourself. But you've thought, I, I, I wonder, am I really a child of God? Am I really a child of God? How do I know? Paul tells us here that it is the Spirit's witness by which we know. It is the Spirit's witness. He himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. How? How does the Spirit testify with our spirit? How does this happen? Is it just as I sit there and, and just sort of ponder these things that I get zapped? And once I've been zapped, then, I'm, then that's it. I know I'm a child of God. I've got the zap. The Spirit works through His Word. The Spirit testifies with our spirit through the witness of the Word of God. 
be reminded of what John says in 1 John chapter 1. In verse 3, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. The indwelling Spirit of God witnesses to our spirit that we are sons of God. This is a benefit of our adoption, and he witnesses through his word. 1 John chapter 1 verse 3, what we have seen, John writes, what we Heard, seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship was with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John the Apostle says, We are in fellowship with the Father, and you join us in fellowship with the Father as you believe what we have written. It is through his word that he acts. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, and in verse 5, Paul writes to the Corinthian church. And if there was ever a church filled with people who ought to wonder, are they really sons of the living God, this would be the church. And Paul writes to them in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. He says, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. Or, you do not re- or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? What is the test? The test is, do you adhere to the Word of God? Do you love the Scriptures? Does it have a place in your life? Does it it lead, guide, and direct your thinking and your behavior? Are you submissive to the word of the living God? If you can answer yes to these questions, then the Spirit of God testifies with your spirit that you are sons of the living God. And beloved, I would be Negligent if I were to not say that if you could care less whether you read your Bible, if you could care less whether you are in the fellowship of God's people, if your life is characterized by an absence of communication with your Father, you not hearing from him and not caring whether you do, and you not communicating back with him and not caring whether you do. And in that environment, you wonder, hmm, I wonder, am I really a child of God? You should wonder. You should wonder. And may I plead with you, by God's grace, do not remain in that position of wondering. The benefits of adoption, the indwelling spirit who frees us from bondage to sin, enables us and promotes our fellowship with the Father. Secondly, it is the witness to our sonship via the indwelling spirit. Third, the third benefit of our adoption into the family of God, being made a child of God, is intimacy with the Father. It is intimacy with the Father. Notice back in Ephesians chapter 1, And verse 6, 
where it says it's to the praise, this, this predestinating, this predetermining to make us his child, is to the praise and the glory of his grace, which he, the Father, freely bestowed on us. And notice how he freely bestowed on us in the what? In the beloved. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved son, the Father says. It's an expression of intimacy. It's an expression of loving closeness. And we get to become part of that. We get invited into that. That which has always existed is now opened up to us. He has sent his spirit into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Every family has their own terms of endearment, their own little sort of family names by which they refer to their father or their grandfather, right, or grandmother. Different cultures, different languages have different words, and, and they're all designed to communicate, or are virtually designed, or virtually all of them are designed to communicate a certain intimacy, aren't they? I'm Grampy. I should start introducing myself that way. It is a term of intimacy. When it's, when it's on the lips of a, of a little child, it just communicates the, the intimacy that exists between generations. Abba, Daddy, is a status that's now yours. First John 3, 1 John 3.1, John writes, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would become children of God. See how great a love the Father would bestow on us, that we would become children of God. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is instructing the disciples how to pray. Verse 7, when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them. For your father, notice the, your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, our father. Our father. You think about that for a moment. 
God is the creator of the universe. He spoke it into existence. He sustains it moment by moment, his son, through his son. And yet, he has given you the privilege of calling him Father. Beloved, this is, this is unlike any other religion. The gods of, of the false gods of the real world's religions, they'll have a God whom you must fear, whom you must try to buy off in some way, who you're never sure where you stand with him or them. That you live under a cloud all the time, never, never getting any better than your last effort. And then there is the truth that through Christ, the barrier of sin has been removed. We have been adopted as joint heirs with Christ, and we call God the living God, the Almighty, the one who who brought creation into existence, the one who sustains creation, we call him Father, Daddy. It's just a sign of the reality of that terminology, Abba. Mark tells us in Mark 14, I won't turn you there, but Mark tells us in Mark 14 that there in the garden of Gethsemane, in the moment of Jesus' greatest agony, when he knows that, that soon and within a matter of a few hours, he will bear the weight of the wrath of God against the sin of his people for all time. And we're told that, 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 that drops, great drops of sweat poured from him like mixed with blood. And that one who, not that long before in John 12, said, you know, what shall I say, Father, deliver me from this hour? Now cries out, Abba, if there is any other way. In his moment of greatest agony, he calls out with a term of closest intimacy. And beloved, by your adoption, you now have that same intimate access. Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever your struggles, whatever is, is coming upon you, and maybe, maybe there's great physical things happening your body is, is racked with disease. Maybe you've suffered the, the excruciating loss of a, of a loved one. Maybe even that closest of, of human relationship, your life partner. Maybe everything around you seems like it's collapsing in and you, and you think you're going you're to be buried under the weight of it. You too 
can call out, Abba, Father. Fourth. The fourth benefit of our adoption is the privilege of coming boldly and at any time in prayer. Boldly and at any time. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you've got something wrong with you, you need to access the medical system. You've got to go to your primary care doctor, right? Most of us. And you've got you to make an appointment. And you call them up and, and um, they'll say, you know, they'll ask you a few questions to try to discern how serious this might be, right? And then they'll say, we'll see you next month. And don't forget your insurance card and, you know. So you show up. And you sit around in the waiting room for an extended period of time so that you can read all of the scintillating literature that's left there for you. You know, like two-year-old Better Homes and Gardens magazines or whatever it is. And eventually they call you in and they sit you in a room and you get your hopes up because, wow, if you've you've gone into the room, then certainly they're going to come and see you. But no, that's only merely a secondary holding tank. (laughs) So you'll sit in the holding tank for some considerable period of time Longer And please, those of you involved in the medical industry, I I understand your problem, okay? But I can't help it. You're getting picked on today, and it's not you. It's the system we live in. But eventually the doctor will come in, and they will see you, and they'll ask you a few more questions. And since they're a primary care physician, they'll say, yeah, boy, you've got to go see a specialist. And so they'll write you a prescription or a a referral, and they'll send you home, and then you've got to call, and you've got to make another... Appointment, right? And we'll see you in 90 days. All right, am I, am I stretching it here? Not so much. So eventually you will get up the food chain and, and you'll get seen. Aren't you glad God's not like that? Aren't you glad God's not like that? They, you, don't, you don't have to like call ahead, make an appointment, you know, talk to his receptionist. You, by virtue of your adoption as a son of the living God, have immediate access to the creator of the universe. Any time. In any place, under any circumstance, 
And here's what's mind-blowing. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. Jesus speaks in Matthew 7, you know, what, what father, when his son asks him, right, for, you know, bread, he's not going to give him a stone. He loves you. He's going to give you exactly what you need. And you can go to him any time. Oh, beloved, what a privilege. What a privilege. What a benefit by virtue of our adoption. 